yeah, that was me playing guitar. Surprise, surprise, everybody. I'm not just somebody who talks into a microphone. I learned four chords. That was only one of them. So, I was looking at the podcast today, and I was thinking last time I did one was in April, April 24th. It's been quite a busy four months. No one really cares what anybody else's life is. They just want an escape from maybe when life gets down. Not here to be depressing. I've been on quite the journey. I've really tried to look introspectively into, I guess, how I think, why I think, and what I think about. And it's just a maze. It's rabbit holes. Overthinking is quite the conundrum. So I'm not going to try to do anything other than just stay rooted in who I am, I guess. That's really all I can ever do. And then understand that in life there's just such a limited time. And for some reason, there is so much in this life that we have manuals for, but manuals for, but how to live it is the journey. There's nothing that exists that says, wake up, it's August 8th in 2022, and this is what you're going to do today. And it's kind of weird because there's so many places in life that I can go and get explicit instructions on what to do and how to do it and then there's this huge area that as I get older I've been told and it's been referred to as the gray area and that's kind of where you figure out who you are what you're doing and where to go so I guess this is just the best that I can come up with and sometimes just hearing myself back I get little nuggets of information And I hear my own tone. And the weird thing is, is I kind of like listening to my own voice because it's a good feedback for me to understand, okay, am I on a good pace? And I think I've mentioned that in some of the other recordings that I've uploaded. And it's just a good sounding board for myself. And unfortunately, with how much there is to go through in life, people can't always be that sounding board for somebody else and if there's somebody in your life that can do that thank them one more time today because it takes a lot of effort to shed your own worries and concerns and truly genuinely listen to what someone might be going through and so what's been really enlightening for me is that I am very nervous as I get older and you start to build your brand, right? Or you build your reputation. You could be doing any career. And I, I've, I see it in a lot of places. It's you're trying to make sure you're consistent in how you think you're consistent in how you work through problems, because ultimately the more strong and true that you can become as a person, the more likely it is that people will look to you to help solve their problems. Because the quicker you can problem solve, the more versatile and the more utilized you can actually be as a person there was a big weekend so excuse my coarse voice but maybe life's not about being utilized (laughs) maybe life's about stepping outside your your comfort zone right now I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone and doing this I am in this career of mine that I find a lot of passion and fulfillment piecing together all these different aspects to what is surrounding a disease. So I'm in medical 
sales. And so the more I can understand a disease, the more I can really understand my personal impact on making that a better world, a better situation for those afflicted by it. And so the disease that I engorge myself with is obstructive sleep apnea. Prayers up to that person who needs the siren help right now. I'm in the city, so we I hear sirens quite often. Not too often, not nerve-wrackingly often. I will t- I'm going to go off a little bit here. I I will meet somebody and tell them I'm from Chicago and there's always that first like layer of concern. I'm blessed, I'm fortunate. I'm in a safe part of the city. Safe, you know respectively perspective I don't know just in in my little domain I I like to stay safer I suppose but it's a hot topic I'm not going to touch it so back to this disease that I'm trying to understand more and more and it's connective nature to all these worser diseases is it's obstructive sleep apnea and I started working at this career oh man it was crazy three years ago and it was snoring when I first started to learn about what I was doing. It was, do you snore? You might have this thing. And that's so silly to me. It was like, it's like, do you occasionally sneeze? Okay, great. I got, I have, you know, allergy medication to you, but then you really start to learn about it. And you really start to speak with people that, you know, legitimately specialize in just targeting one disease. And this is just from the window and the lens of medical sales. And so, I get in that world, I drink the Kool-Aid, but I try to stay at arm's length because the second you cross the line of being somebody who's so into the agenda or so into the movement, the second you lose the next opportunity to actually speak with someone about, genuinely speak with someone about what it is that you believe in, because you have to stay rooted, you have to stay grounded. And so that's kind of been what the last five months has has been, is just how do I figure out more ways to do that efficiently, repeatedly, consistently, all of the buzzwords, but have fun. You know, like for me, this is having fun right now. There's a joy and euphoria I get being put on somewhat of a spot that I don't know who's going to listen, but it's a, it's a timestamp that I am going to speak from a place that is unrefined. And in the process of speaking from that place, I will hope to have some refinement while doing so. And so that gives me something that it just is tough that in life you can't wake up and be told do this and you will receive that benefit or and and there are areas where yes you know in 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 your day-to-day work life balance you know if I do this I will most likely get this benefit and so on and so forth and so for me it's just how do I keep testing the waters on what it is that I believe I'm figuring out my own life and to actually put it into practice. And then you, well, you know, the proverbial you, but then I sit and I just wonder from when I was a kid 
And some people still think 27 is a kid, but from kid to today, have I done everything that's going to position myself in the best position to be as successful as I have the potential given the tools and the experiences and the skill set that I have to maximize what I'm actually contributing to in my life? And I think that that is this weird weight that gets put on that isn't really real. It's all just this mental construct that either drives or restricts people. But where do you even start analyzing that? Where do you begin to look and say, am I where I should be? And it's a very weird thought. And it's one of those thoughts that (laughs) throws you into, if you watch a lot of Marvel movies, you start looking into like multiverse things and you're like, well, is this the life, you know, or, or reincarnation, my past lives, my future lives. You just start doing all of this like existentialist thinking and you totally get out of just what the moment is right now. And then before you know it, you get distracted by something and then you're on to the next thing. And then maybe you buy yourself two weeks before you're thinking about it all again. So what I found honestly in the last five months, and I'm just, I'm, I'm keeping this all relative to the other times that I've done a recording, but in the last five months, I've really found that the more that I've tried to genuinely understand what it is that I'm actually dedicating my my time to through work and you start to meet the right people and right as in your own judgment. For me, the right people are who am I going to meet that will help give me another piece to understanding a purpose maybe. I mean, maybe it comes down to just figuring out a purpose. And the example being Three years I've been working with a company talking about a disease, obstructive sleep apnea. You go to all these courses to get all this education on what it is and how to diagnose this. And and you really kind of come up short because if the people educating on it learn from people that were educated on it from all the same filter, then by default it's going to get diluted if it's all from the same lens and you're just photocopying and we aren't photocopies of the next person so there's kind of this telephone game thing so to get all these different angles is what I really started to see helped piece together a greater understanding of what it is and the scary truth of it is is that people are extremely homeopathic, which means that we heal ourselves. If you were to get a cut on your arm, give it enough time and you're gonna heal. Speed it up, you know, do a time-lapse frame and it looks kind of supernatural. And so we heal ourselves and there are things that we can't heal. But there's a lot that if you do something today and you prevent something, it's called preventative care, you actually help something very, very much worse 20, 30, 40 years down the line. And when you really start to understand that and understand the compounding nature of letting something go untreated, it really does give that like little shock to you, that little, at least for me. 27 years old, some people might still think I'm a kid. So I'm a kid, I've got this device, 
So the device that, so the specific device that the company that I work for makes, and it treats this disease, obstructive sleep apnea. Now there are different scales to it. So I am having a treatment. I use a device that treats something that most people, if you look at the demographics of who's actually getting this treatment, you know, by and large is 50 plus, 50 years plus. So I first started wearing this device and I thought, what am I doing? I'm um, a hypochondriac. It's somebody who thinks that there's an illness all the time and they're not really sick. But I wear this device and I feel great. And when I don't wear it, I don't feel as great. So now the athlete in me thinks, okay, am I getting like some performance thing? Is it a performance enhancer? So obstructive sleep apnea, what is obstructive sleep apnea? So it's a cessation of breathing. That's an apnea. Cessation means you completely stop breathing for 10 seconds or more. And obstructive sleep apnea is this obstruction. It's your tongue, your body. We want to be built perfectly, but it's just not the case, unfortunately. We're very uniquely built. And so what happens is because we're homo, we're homo erectus, so we stand straight up, and gravity says, you want to stand straight up, but at what cost? And this is just, I'm, I'm, these are hyper, hyperboles. I, I speak for no man here, except D. Curtis. So we stand straight up and gravity said, because our anatomy stretched out, we got this elongated neck, that we're actually going to have this very narrow, our pharynx. And because of that, it makes any slight obstruction the complete cork the clog whatever you want to call it the stop for o2 for oxygen to get into our system and for us to go through that breathing cycle so when we sleep at night and we sleep supine that means we sleep on our back tongue falls back blocks the pharynx blocks the airway and now we are cessation this is the cessation of breathing cessating stopping complete stop of breathing and for 10 seconds or more that's what they call an apneic event so an apnea is for 10 seconds or more cessated breathing and then a hypopnea is similar to that in that breathing but they put those two measurements together and they call it an apnea hypopnea index so an ahi score ahi and that's just the number of times per hour that you do not breathe divided by the number of hours you slept. So that's the hypop apnea hypopnea index. It's not, as, it's not quite as complicated as the quadratic formula, but it's a way to see on a night's sleep how many times you're actually not breathing. And so why I say I just have kind of the, the lower end of that AHI is it was eight. So when I did a sleep test, where it actually can tell, it has a chest strap and an effort strap, so we can see when you stop breathing, it was eight. So eight times an hour, I would stop breathing for 10 seconds or more. And there are people that get what's in the severe category, 30 plus times per hour, they stop breathing for 10 seconds or more. Now this is one of those interesting facets because it's sleep. 
And it's one of those, like those shock moments, those awe moments when you really start to understand what's happening during these events. And then you understand the people that are going through this disease or have this disease and are afflicted by it, all the buzzwords. And you realize that they shouldn't be walking around. <laughs> They're not getting any sleep. Their body is going into what is called the, the para and sympathetic nervous system storm because their body stops breathing. The oxygen stops going to the heart to oxygenate the blood. There's nothing going to the brain. So you're never actually getting into a restful night of sleep. Your brain is always waking you up going, you're choking. Something's choking you. You can't breathe. There's something in the way. I got to wake you up a little bit. So whenever you see, if whenever you see, it's not something. <laughs> Where are you looking right now to see these videos? But if you were to search and find, or if you've ever seen somebody who has this apneic episode, it is someone who stops breathing, completely silences, and then all of a sudden just goes, <sighs> like really honestly is gasping for air. And so when this is taught in the courses of the industry that I'm in, it's said very textually and everything is laid out with a lot of great information. I didn't go to med school. I didn't go to dental school. So the years of getting the weight of patient care, I'm gaining now. And so it's taken a little bit more time and it's taken more people to interact with more specialists, more, you know, um, narrow in on kind of the disease doctors to understand exactly what's happening. And it wasn't until I met with a doctor who pointed out that there's this other measurement that's called ODI. It's oxygen desaturation index. And this is a measurement that calculates how many times your oxygen level goes below a certain threshold. So if I think some people I know, I don't mean to put any, my brother told me he got, a, it's called a pulse oximeter and it just measures your oxygen saturation level. And so we live at about 95%, 95 to 98% of the air we breathe has an oxygen saturation of, of that percentage. And so people that were having uh, COVID-19 and symptoms of it were having a lower saturation. So they were getting down below 90. And so the oxygen desaturation index is a way to measure. Okay. So you have the cessation of breathing, but what is happening to the oxygen level, the saturation level. And so on a hospital standard, so this is what really kind of drove it home. In these sleep tests that people take, they can look at their scores and it could be an AHI of 10, which means that 10 times an hour for 10 seconds or more, they stop breathing completely. They're getting in the way of adequate brain function during sleep. They're not getting into healthy sleep cycles. So that's just one tier of it. But then you can look at the oxygen desaturation and you can see that they plummeted to 75% or below. And that's every single night that they are getting to a point where their body has that low of a saturated index as they breathe. A waking patient so if you went into a hospital 
and you were faint or you had some reason that brought you into the ER and they hooked you up to a pulse oximeter and your oxygen desaturation or your oxygen saturation got down below 75%, they would intubate you. They would put you in a coma and they would intubate you. And that's happening for people with undiagnosed obstructive sleep apnea every single night in some cases. And that's the wow factor when I met with that specialist and I just realized that this three years I've been working with this company and I thought snoring, it's a mouth guard. Like, come on, Curtis. You were the, you were the funny man in high school. You were the, the football player. You're working for a company that's selling mouth guards to help snoring. Like, what are you doing? And then you really start to understand it, you proverbial. Then I really started to understand that preventative care is the difference, in my opinion. And this is why I'm saying I'm, I'm really trying to stay in tune with not too much Kool-Aid on this. But in my opinion, preventative care is a difference between what we see around us today in the world as never going to get better. On some days, the news will never stop coming in and helping a little bit, having an impact, sharing a purpose towards there are people that have no idea what they're actually experiencing by having something that people might just write off as snoring. And so that's kind of where I'm at with my purpose right now. It's a piece of my purpose. And then, of course, I'm in a wonderful relationship. It's going just swimmingly. There are times I'll be driving around after a long day of work and I'll be coming home and I'll be thinking, I'm still with her. That's great. Not <laughs> like a, but like a, we've been through so much. And then you really start to get to know, I mean, we live together, so you get to know somebody on such a whole new level. And then you really just appreciate one, why did it take so long? Why did it take so long to find you? Two, my whole life. I've got my whole, and sorry again about my voice. It was a long weekend. My whole life, I get to hang out with you. And then that weird turn where you're with somebody and as a young lad being this in, you know, this impervious or this kind of indestructible young adult and to think I'm going to live forever. You know, mortality isn't something that is really comprehended. And then to meet that person that does something very interesting to that comprehension and it makes you appreciate so much more one mortality is very real but two you have to you <laughs> i have to make the most of every single day that i have because i don't know <laughs> i don't know what's going to happen next and then you have those moments, you know, I'll be leaving the apartment or something and I'll be like, okay, so all we have to just make sure is we just stay alive. <laughs> That's all we have to do. Are you going to do that for me? Okay, great. I'll do the same for you. And so, <laughs> and so it's been exciting. It's been fun. So I wear, so anyway, so with, I got to somehow put a close on this obstructive sleep apnea spiel. 
And so I wear the device and the treatment that really is the dominating treatment because of the infrastructure that it has to be quite honest, honest is there's uh, this classification called DME. So it's durable medical equipment and that falls anything, you know, that category covers everything from, uh, you know, battery operated scooters to crutches to wheelchairs and CPAP machines. So CPAP, I'm sure there's been advertising somewhere or like the cleaning machines stands for continuous positive airway pressure. God bless you, my dear. It's a small apartment. She held a sneeze in. How considerate. So CPAP is continuous positive airway pressure. And so it's that big mask. And it has a hose and it goes to this unit, this water unit that uses milliliters of water to actually create pressure. So it's almost like this little compressor. And so using water pressure, it builds up in the unit. And that's why there was this huge recall is because the filter from the water pressure unit to the air pressure, the filters they used over time actually started to develop some very nasty side effects in terms of what it was actually releasing with the air. And so the FDA uh, is actually linking directly. The last time I checked, it was about a month ago. 124 people have died directly linked to CPAP machines that were made with a shoddy filter. Now, the really sad thing about it is the company that made these sort of have released that there was some knowledge of the filter being used. And like I said, I don't want to drink the Kool-Aid when... A treatment like that is being administered at that grand level. I mean, it's a huge industry, huge market. You just hope that there's a lot of protocol, more protocol than there is in place to make sure that those things. I mean, here we have people that invested time and energy into their health, which you don't see a lot with patients, unfortunately. No, I mean, it's, it's I'm in that same bucket. I don't want to make an appointment if I don't have to. So you have patients that went to the extra length to get this preventative care 50% of people that even get the damn machine use it so now you're talking about people that are crossing that threshold and actually using it and then these fatalities happen and so CPAP blows positive pressure through that mask all night and instead of getting the tongue out of the way mechanically which is what an oral appliance does essentially it looks like a mouth guard it's simply just blowing air and keeping it pressed down and and out of the the airway and it's keeping the airway open nobody likes to wear it and what's interesting a little fun fact the CPAP prescription so when it gets prescribed to a patient it has the length of it says to wear every night I think some actually say five nights out of the week and for only four hours and then after four hours you can take it off so what's skewed about that is that if you sleep six to eight hours is good but let's say eight hours so it's easy math 
the second set of four hours is actually where you have more apneic episodes because of the state of sleep you're in. So the prescription for the CPAP to qualify it as a compliant patient is actually, if it had to be only four hours, is in the first half, which is not as detrimental if a machine was not being used compared to the second half. That I have heard in passing. I know there, <laughs> I know there are studies on it. I do not have the quotable studies, but I do know, I think most of it is linked in, it's called an AHRQ paper. And the compliance is a big issue. So this is all just three years with a company. Three years with a company, you meet amazing people. You meet people that are dedicated to getting this treatment treated, treatment treated, this disease treated. And you just start to pick up all of these pieces that when you put it all together, you're honestly just sitting there going, this is just wild. This is just incredible that this is something that is getting in the obvious way of that homeopathic nature of people and all of these diseases are getting worse because we're just not simply doing the most to maximize what is this amazing system that we have which is sleeping in this restorative period every single day every single day well the night we go into this state to have this process uh, there's there's always been this really fascinating little tidbit that came out of the course I went to that when you sleep there's actually they haven't done a lot of research into it but they are building on it and so there's actually like cerebral it's called cerebral spinal fluid that is in your brain and it helps I think it lubricates and I I'm, I swear it sounds like voodoo science but it lubricates like the just the the connectivity and so every night if you get into the proper stages of sleep it actually cleans out so if you're not getting into those stages of sleep and you're not getting adequate sleep you actually start to get kind of this like it honestly gets like gunked up a little bit so you have like brain fog that's when anxiety sets in depression sets in you're just not able to think as clearly because you're not having that restorative process every night the more I talk to specialists, the more that they say that people like psychiatrists and therapists should be the front line in some aspect to how many patients they see with anxiety, depression. And what's really interesting about obstructive sleep apnea is that there are so many specialists that could be the front line because it's so linked to all of these comorbidities and all of these worse risk factors. So that's what's really interesting about it. Homeopathic. We're very fascinating creatures. There's something very beautiful about what happens when we go to sleep and we restore and we heal and maximizing that system. You really don't need to. And I don't mean any to understand that the maximizing of that process will only lead to a better outcome is a beautiful thing. And so the really awesome nature of working with a company that treats this disease with a very simple device as the CPAP pumps positive airway pressure down the larynx which opens up the airway there's also another approach and it's called an oral appliance excuse me I'm going to cough 
It's called an oral appliance, and it mechanically moves the mandible. So everyone always assumes that there's an upper jaw and a lower jaw. You only have one jaw, and it's your mandible, and then the arch that's considered, and you know, some people refer to as the upper jaw, is actually your maxillary. So you have the mandible, and that's the jaw. If you open your mouth, you move it side to side. The only bone in the human body that has two joint connections that moves in unison. So that's pretty cool. But your mandible moves forward, and your tongue is connected to your mandible. So as you move the mandible forward, you kind of become a caveman again. You know, you stick your jaw forward. You actually bring your tongue forward, and it gets it out of the way. And now it's not causing the obstruction of obstructive sleep apnea. And so there's no correlation between how far you move your mandible forward and how low the AHI score goes. And so you really have to appreciate and respect the three-dimensional space that your mouth, your oral cavity is in relation to the mandible and connected to the larynx. Because... You can't just jet or really torque your mandible forward and expect all these wonderful results because you might have to include a vertical dimension. So every person is different. Every mandible moves in a different way. And it's very fascinating to work for a company that has a customized device because you really start to learn all these nuances of anatomy and how a patient's mandible you might have 10 patients. Every animal moves in a different path. The deviations that come up with mandibles become something you have to count for. And so you get to really appreciate that, yes, there is a way to maneuver around this evolutionary adaptation of the airway closing or the airway getting narrow and supine and and we lay on our back when we sleep and the tongue drops back and in order to counter that we bring the mandible forward and you have to understand that as your mandible moves forward sorry i bumped the mic there as you're i'm getting excited here i'm using my hands now and nobody's in front. i don't have a camera on me this is silly but as your mandible moves forward and you open up it's called your condyle is the actual part of the bone and your mandible that connects to the joint and so as you move your mandible forward, you're bringing your condyle out of the joint. At this point, I'm just showing off. You bring your condyle out of the joint, and you, you keep it there for eight hours a night. You know, if we're good, we're sleeping six to eight hours a night. And so there's a space now, because if you clench down right now, there's centric relation and there's centric occlusion. So centric occlusion is when you put your teeth so they kind of fit like a puzzle. So you bite down and you get your teeth to fit together like a puzzle. That's centric occlusion. Centric relation is when you open your mouth and you kind of naturally, just naturally bring your mouth closed. And you might notice that you might have an underbite and overbite. It's going to be just where your condyle rests comfortably, 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 comfortably. There we go. You know, there was one time I, I was talking with someone who was actually, I'm going to, boast on this a little bit. I was actually in Kenya for a mission trip and I was talking with somebody that I went with there and it took us like 10 minutes 
I, I'm going to take, I'm going to go under the bus on this one and say that I was the one exclusively struggling with how to say pe peculiar, 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 peculiar. I'll get it again. So when your condyle comes forward, this space opens up and this is the beautiful thing about how we're, it's just amazing how we're made, how uh, we're just beautiful creatures. Your condyle comes forward and the space opens up in the joint and your brain feels that space and it goes, there's a space now. So what do I have to do? I have to fill that space with something that's gonna keep that bone from going bone on bone. So it pumps in what's called synovial fluid. Synovial, S-Y-N-O-V-I-L fluid. And so in the morning when you take this oral appliance out, that's a side effect, is you'll try to find centric occlusion, you'll try to put your teeth back into a puzzle and it'll be a little tight and so what's happening is that synovial fluid built up because it's making way for the space it's not making way it's creating a filler for the space that you created by wearing a device that brings your mandible forward because it's trying to protect the joint and so literally literally for the next like hour or so as you try to find that puzzle piece fit again, you push your, you know, you can even push your mandible back. You're draining that fluid. And so I've just really grown this amazing appreciation and awe and just fascination with the mechanics of everything and understanding that snoring, right? This annoying thing that we just tease people about is actually linked to something that affects one of the most frequent recovery processes that we have built in as human beings as creatures as living things and by not being able to get the most optimum quality of that process really starts to take hits on a person's body, but more important, just the mental state, because now we're talking about how it involves oxygen to the brain. And if you cannot oxygenate the blood through proper breathing while sleeping, and your body goes into this shock of almost this asphyxiation, because it can't get any air, and you're your heart stops that oxygenation. Now you're forming clots potentially as you get older. And if a clot goes up to the brain, you have a stroke. You start to have science, you know, you start to form dementia. And so it's all of these preventative measures that you really start to appreciate. And I now, if I go to bed and I'm dozy, I'm kind of like, okay, I'll put my device in, whatever. And it doesn't happen often, but if I go to sleep and I wake up and it's like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. and I don't have my device in, I, I'm not going to lie, I actually get kind of angry <laughs> because I am so disappointed in myself that I forgot a device because I'm never going to get that night back. And if I can't remember now, then what happens when my body can't keep pushing me through? I was fortunate enough... I've been fortunate enough to shadow some of the offices that the company I work for 
Uh, I'm going to point it out every time it happens. I've been fortunate enough to see some of the patients that come in who are going into that. They're turning that leaf into seeing what the disease is and, and understanding what they've actually been struggling with. And to really after three years go from, you know, cause I shadowed right when I started and then I've been shadowing recently, but to really understand that when you look at somebody who has this disease, that's not being treated and you, I've heard all of the signs and symptoms, like they're going to be tired even in the chair when they're talking to you and they're going to have all of these, you know, bags under their eyes. And you're like, okay, well, I mean, it's life. Like we get tired. Wednesdays are tough, right? Like how, how bad could it really be? And then to understand what someone's going through every single night when they have this disease and no, nothing's being done about it. I can't help but sit there and just be like, how are you, how are you alive? How are you sitting here? How are you even communicating? Like, how are you conscious right now? And then just to take it one step further and go, do you understand how strong your heart is? Do you get that? Because you are fighting every night. You're going into a cage match, trying to keep up with what's happening just because mechanically that's the trade-off. Homo erectus. And then blockage. So that's a part of my passion. It's a part of my fulfillment. That's a part of my purpose. But then I also did something that was pretty crazy and I went and actually, I think it was like 10 years, I think maybe 10 years I'd been dodging this, but I went to therapy and that was super crazy. Transformational therapy. And I'll tell you what was so incredible about it. I do have skepticism of modern psychologists and therapists and only because of this I'm a finance major so I look at life and formulas and this is my personal opinion so anybody that's going through this process I have no issue at all and listen I was put here to have an opinion just as everybody else and so this is where mine is this is what I can come up with today the formula to me of somebody who goes and practices medicine, they have to abide within a system. And that system is the big I system and big I stands for insurance. And unlike looking at a knee and knowing that you need it replaced or looking at a torn ligament and knowing that you need to repair it or looking at a chemical imbalance and knowing that you need to figure out what neurotransmitters need to be replaced and what beta blocker in a cardio event needs to be fulfilled. Those are all to a T, diagnose it, get it treated, get the right medication, have the patient move on. When I think of something like therapy, and it's this, it's this, it's the most, in my opinion, it's the most intimate besides sex it's the most intimate experience that we have as people opening up, sharing feelings, taking that gray area that we don't have a manual for 
and piecing together as best as we can and trusting that who we're talking to is not only one coming from a place of wholeheartedly wanting us as the people in front of them to essentially not be there. That's the goal. I shouldn't be sitting in this chair. As I say that, I get all like in my head, like, <laughs> this is where I'm going to listen back to and be like, is this, is this me telling myself like <laughs> I shouldn't be talking? But seriously, I've gone to therapy sessions before and I couldn't shake the feeling and almost skepticism of how am I ever going to genuinely get better if the person that I'm going to see relies on putting me into a classification that can report to the payment process. And then if I go in with this is my goal and while I'm there, I am showed, shown, showed, I'm shown 10 more goals. When does it stop? We all deserve an opinion. We have limited time here. This is my opinion on it. So I go to this place. I was blessed with the direction and guidance by my fiance to go and through as a connection of her family and just you really start to meet when you genuinely want to take really big strides in your life you really start to meet incredible people and through that process of mine I met a woman that I didn't even know this existed but it's called transformational therapy <laughs> transformational therapy and what was great about it was there's this screener call from this woman she learns a little bit about what the struggles are from that little screen call she figures out it's this amount of time so come on by we'll have a chat and then at the end of it that's the last time you see her one and done and i shared some of these personal you know skepticism with her of course this is Listen, I, 10 years, 10 years it took me to knock on a door to go in and talk to someone about something. And I'm not holding back. You know, if, if for some reason I'm here because of a collective effort, then I'm going to give it my all. I'm, I'm going down swinging. And so I talk about all these skepticism, skepticisms. And at the end of, I was given eight hours. Yeah, real messed up. Eight hours. It was amazing. And I leave with a piece of paper that has a diagnosis on it. And she said, I'm going to leave this blank because I'm not here to diagnose you. And it's been a smooth sail ever since. It's difficult to talk about these things because it's a rabbit hole in some sense. But it's also really nice to feel like I can finally move on from I don't even know how to explain an anchor a dead weight I can't even tell you what's the pur purpose of me sharing this who knows but what was the purpose of me getting on a microphone and sharing what I've gained over the last three years about obstructive sleep apnea well that one you might be able to <laughs> determine well I mean, if someone's listening and they understand the, a disease now and they can think about who in their life may be buzzword afflicted by it 
then maybe that's the purpose. So who knows what the purpose of me sharing that is. So it's just been great. Picked up the guitar again, as you heard right in the beginning. And I guess my goals now, at the end of this, is just to continue noticing moments in my life that I get a little bit more of a direction. To understand that I'm not always going to have the perfect answer at the right time. And what's really tough is that as I've gotten older, I've noticed more times that I could have done something in the sense of not, I'm not, you know, not in the sense that I'm holding back, but the sense of being able to piece together what moments could have been if I had done this or have done that. And so today I was actually sitting on the computer and I was looking at the podcast page, the one that's linked to Spotify, and I almost canceled the subscription But then I thought back to when I was in high school and I was about to start getting recruited by colleges, I had these dumb, I mean, they were dumb videos on YouTube, but I was playing guitar and I was really excited and I was fun and it was goofy. And I took them down because I was worried that if a college coach that was searching my name saw the videos, they wouldn't have taken me seriously and I wouldn't have gotten a scholarship grateful as ever that I was able to go through the college sport athletic world. Amazing connections, amazing experiences, amazing qualities of my character and my work ethic that I would not have if I didn't go through that. I can honestly say though, I'm not as artistic as I may have been if I didn't choose that route. And so now I'm at this second phase, right? Where I have this podcast set up and it's similar to that. It's this worry that if somebody from the career world that I'm establishing a reputation in, so I think stumbles upon recordings of, and I deleted some, you know, I gave in a little bit. I deleted the first recording I had. It was cringy. It was hard. (laughs) Every time I listened back to it, it was real weird. But am I going to do, because I can't tell you what it was like after I got out of playing football and I graduated college and I was with some high school friends and we were talking about the videos and I was so upset that I couldn't find them. I'll never have those videos. And when you get older, it's those dumb moments that you look back and you're like, who was I? That's awesome. And so I don't want this to be another one of those moments. So I'm taking a risk and I'm keeping these here. And I'm just trying to figure that out. So we'll start this whole train again. We'll keep it moving. We'll keep it growing. And I hope that whomever stumbles upon the journey that I am on realizes that theirs, theirs may have just begun. gone.